What does people plus food service plus conversation equal? The Food Service for Thought podcast. Produced by Forbes, Heaver, and Wallace and hosted by Carrie Clements and Justin Oliveras, the bi-monthly podcast connects the food service industry through in-depth conversations with chefs, restaurant equipment suppliers, food service establishment owners, and so many others that make up our wonderful industry. If you like food, people, and great conversation, we think you will enjoy the Food Service for Thought podcast. Hey, everyone. We are so pleased to introduce you to Jessica Williams, who has, since this episode, become a close friend of mine. So uh, we're really thrilled that you get to listen to and learn from Jessica. She founded Food Forward Thinking as a consultant agency to advance food service across convenience stores, groceries, and restaurants. And her mission is to elevate food quality and consistency, and she believes that pairing innovative thinking with practical applications often make the best solutions. She enjoys talking tirelessly about product development and food safety and menu labeling and really anything related to food. She genuinely cares about food and the people who serve it and unapologetically offers a listening ear and invitation to discuss food service challenges with her on the porch overlooking the hills of her family's organic dairy farm in Kentucky. And I plan on taking her up on that one day. Um, She is so smart and just genuine heart. She's introduced me to some people on LinkedIn. In fact, we met on LinkedIn and now we kind of Marco Polo and talk. We haven't talked very often on the phone, but when we do, it's for long periods of time. Anyway, I just adore her and and I'm so glad that she's become a friend. So welcome, Jessica Williams. Okay, Jessica Williams, welcome in to the Food Service for Thought podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. You bet. So to kick things off today, uh, we thought we would wake up the palate and by asking you our amuse-bouche questions, which I have a hard time saying, and it is French for small bites. It's usually served at the very beginning of a meal just to sort of uh, wake the taste buds up. So we have some questions in that vein, and I will lead it off. Question number one. What is the dish you most often cook for the people you love? Uh, that's going to have to be tacos. Uh, just about everything turns into tacos every week. Might be beef tacos, pork tacos, chicken tacos. It's, we're definitely having taco night. It almost always falls on Tuesday, so that's always fun. That's fabulous. <laughs> we, we are taco fans here, for sure. Um, I, think, I think Taco Tuesday is... Is, a, is probably just as big a deal as Thanksgiving for some of us. So if you were food, what food would you be? You know, I'd, I'd probably be a banana split. Um, and I would only say that because, and not because they eat them every day, I would love to. They're a little bit of everything. They're lots of flavors. I would have a hard time choosing chocolate over anything besides chocolate, but I love strawberries, chocolate, a little bit of everything. I like to think that I could be good at lots of different things. I'm, ha- I'm in food, so um, yeah, I would say a banana split might be a fun answer. It might be 
may not may or not be accurate, but I think it's fun. I think I would be fun. <laughs> That's I think it's great. Yeah. <laughs> what what better way to wash down the tacos than this with some banana split? For real. Yeah. Okay, last question here of the amuse bouche. What is your go-to food when you are sad, when you're mad, when you're just not having a great day? Is wine a food or is that uh, inappropriate <laughs> to answer? Um, no, it comes from grapes. It's true. It's a fermented grape. But I would say uh, chocolate. It's got to be chocolate. It's brownies or dark chocolate, or dark chocolate caramel, something like that. It's going to be chocolate. It's good. And coincidentally pairs well with wine. So It's true. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, on a on a slightly more serious note. Well, yes. I was just going to point out how. Yeah, we. I think we've only had one guest that has answered that question with a food. It seems like we've had his scotch a food. We've had his wine a food many times. Yes, and for the record, uh, scotch scotch <laughs> is a food, and it falls right next to the bourbon on the pyramid of the food pyramid. Remember that from middle school. <laughs> So they're right there, sort of the base. Yes, it does. No, I, I'm in Kentucky. Bourbon is absolutely a food. And there's a cool brand here, um, Bourbon Barrel Foods. And their motto is, eat your bourbon. And so they have like a smoked <laughs> bourbon sea salt that I put on everything. They have a smoked bourbon pepper. They have oh a, a bourbon smoked, I should say, bourbon smoked paprika. It's awesome. They have great stuff. And um, yeah, I definitely somehow eat a little bit of bourbon uh, often <laughs> so just my family maybe unknowingly but it, it's real it's okay awesome okay uh so jessica again thank you thank you for being on with us uh could you give all of our listeners just a quick rundown of who you are uh the company that you founded and sort of the the, the core competencies that you guys offer to your customer base yes thanks uh so Jessica Williams, I started a company that I'm calling Food Forward Thinking back about three years ago. Um, it's a consultancy. It's almost the same name as your podcast, so I think that's kind of fun. Um, food Forward Thinking just comes from uh, the fact that I've always done product development for different companies, and um, I love the forward-looking nature of what product development looks like. I love working on the new things before they come out. Um, a big part of my business has been menu labeling, um, which is maybe less exciting, but just as important as innovation in this world. So um, I do a lot of menu labeling support for convenience, for grocery, for uh, restaurants too, and uh, product development. So that runs from you know helping come up with new ideas and new recipes, to sourcing, to costing and commercializing. Um, so I've worked with a lot of different brands for um, over the years. It's kind of a short um, span so far. I'm in year three, and uh, prior to that, came from Thornton's convenience store, uh, convenience store chain based in Kentucky. Yep. I did product development there and food safety for about three years, and before that, I worked for Yum Brands for ten years doing product development for KFC. Got to travel a lot, um, got to work on equipment, on food. Um, saw the first time that I ever had um, a product come out that no one knew that it was mine, you know, but it's kind of mine. And I'm seeing it in a restaurant for the first time and seeing people order it definitely hooked me on product development as a career path. So um, basically, too, to start my consultant, my consultancy, I moved 
um, about two hours away from Louisville where commuting back and forth just wasn't an option anymore. So um, I started Food Forward thinking just as something to keep me in food and to stay connected to the convenience world especially and to restaurants. And, um, and it's opened up the world of grocery as well. So I've had a really good first three years and looking to grow and expand and um, I appreciate being able to talk to you guys today. It's a big deal for me. Well, Justin, I think it'd be interesting for, cause Jessica, a lot of people aren't in food service that listen to this podcast, like Justin's mom and his wife, for instance. They're not in our industry. So uh, when you talk about menu labeling or product development, I, what, what, well, I get product development, though. It'd be interesting to hear how that, you know, begin, you know, kind of what that process is. But menu labeling, does that mean just like n- naming a pr- naming products or building the menu so that, what is that? It's a lot less interesting than that. In fact, it's actually just nutrition facts. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> so calculating nutrition facts for, um, for, for proprietary products. So I've worked on um, any recipe that you can come up with, whether you have one store or, or thousand stores. Um, you may or may not want to have um, calories next to you know, each part of your menu. So someone might know if they order the sandwich or the salad or um, what the calorie content is. So breaking down the protein, the, the uh, sugar, an ingredient statement, a, an allergens statement. So not necessarily advising, a kid can do that, but not, um, not necessarily advising, but more just uh, letting you know what you've come up with and uh, just working in a program so- for that. Mm-hmm. So you're the person that I curse when I think I get something healthy from a convenience store. And then after I'm done eating it, I look and I'm like, oh, that was 1,900 calories for right. half a sandwich. Fantastic. Yeah, where they try to trick you and it's, it seems reasonable yeah. and you realize you've eaten five servings. So, yeah, uh, or try not to trick. I would advise against tricking. But, yeah, that's the kind of work that I do. Exactly. And I got a quick follow-up question to that. You mentioned before, kind of buried the lead here. The first time you said that you had a product of your own and you saw it out at a restaurant, what was that product? Oh, yeah, okay. If you can uh, say generally, if you can't do specifically, if you can just tell us what kind of a product, you know, was uh, it? I can say, I think because it was such a um, notable test and out, it was out there um, for many years, actually. So I worked for KFC internationally um, when I worked at Yum Brands and I got to work um, support really, but uh, work on the menu that KFC had there in England for breakfast, and so we were in a really high volume, very, um, very popular store in London. The first time that I got to walk in and see the food that I had, I knew about, I touched, I'd um, you know created cooking profiles for, and, and knew exactly how to make it. I trained it. And then I'm standing in a lobby watching people kind of look at the menu and choose and, and walking through the lobby, seeing people's wrappers open with sandwiches and things. And I thought, this is, this is so cool. I can't believe this is a real job that you get to create products, get to create food that people taste. And um, no one would ever know I was behind it and I kind of like that you know just kind of being in the backstage of it and seeing people eat it it was really interesting and um, since then I've been lucky enough to do it a lot um, for a a lot of different food that's out there still today so it's pretty fun and that was the first time that was KFC 
in the UK. How many people is on a team or do you have to work with to bring a menu item out? Oh man, I mean, I think it can range. It depends on the size of your company, everything from, I mean, at a brand like that, it's just so large and um, a cross-functional team of operators, of marketers, of researchers and food photographers. And, you know, it's a huge amount of people go into something like that for, for a big brand. And then um, even for, I'm working on a concept right now that doesn't exist yet. There's not even yet one store. So there are just a couple of us working on the menu. Um, so it's a lot, maybe uh, less risk, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so not, not a, an extreme amount of research goes into something like that. Um, that's just a, a single brand. Um, or it can range from you know, thousands and thousands of dollars spent against research. If if a half ounce of cheese maker breaks, you know, the bank tons, thousands of stores. So, yeah, I think it, it really depends. But on a, on a small scale, I can tell you it can happen. You know, just you could open a restaurant tomorrow and um, and just be just your ideas out there. And it seems like the, the clients that I'm working with are sort of a range of, of both everywhere in between the one and or the zero and the larger. Yeah, <laughs> Much larger. Well, I, I mean, we've worked on and Justin's worked with um, multi unit operators that, you know, we're talking to the food manufacturers and, you know, for maybe like a breakfast program, you'd be talking to several different food manufacturers or brokers and then our equipment, uh, R&D folks too, and the engineers and, and, and that's just on our side. So I bet for, you know, a, a big program for a big chain, it's, it's a, that's a lot of coordination. It is. Um, it was a great, it was an amazing place to learn. I'll say that I had such a great experience learning and a lot of what I learned uh, was like a 10 year you know college course master's level on how to do product development in a way and as much as I loved the, the food and the people and the, and the brand um, I was able to take a lot of that knowledge and apply it to a, a totally different chain on a totally different level and and it still works today I'm still talking about it and still kind of referencing what I learned there, definitely. So just to be clear, Carrie, what I heard Jessica say, a direct quote was, she invented fried yeah. chicken. Yeah. So I think that's pretty cool <laughs> with KFC. Sure, yeah. yeah, put that on the Wikipedia page. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. So you said, you said you worked at both Thornton's and Yum, and you did some of the same stuff, right? So some product development uh, with both of those. Can you talk about some of the similarities and differences or maybe some things that you learned or were surprised to find out? Because... You're, you're working, I guess, in the same category of your job your job skills and qualifications, but vastly different companies, maybe vastly different approaches going to market, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, well, I, I believe that was part of the reason I was brought in. There was a, a great team in place when I joined Thornton's. There were a couple of stores with this kitchen concept where food was being prepared on site right in the middle of the store. Um, if you have the chance to go into a Thornton's, there are beautiful locations in Chicago and um, Florida now and in the Louisville area in Kentucky and um, when I came in there were only a couple of, of locations and the idea was to expand uh, when there are a couple of stores you can really babysit everything that's happening and you know every person and you know every process and you know the inventory levels um, you can really carefully monitor which is an important part of 
a brand new concept and opening one. Um, but then, you know, it starts to get unmanageable to manage it in that same way as you grow to eight stores, to 10 stores, to 20, to 50. And um, that's sort of the, what I applied was what I learned um, over into the convenience world with without franchisees, without um, a whole lot of people to convince as to what you might want to do next or what product you might want to bring in or equipment, um, a lot more flexibility to just run really fast. And I was given a lot of leeway to kind of, you know, suggest, do what we needed to do, working with category managers and um, the operations team there. It was um, applying a lot of process to a place that didn't necessarily have a lot of process at that point, and now they do, and I'm on awesome terms with them. They are, they are so buttoned up, and I, I love them um, for that. So I'd say you know, a whole lot of what applies to both types of brands, whether large or small, has a lot to do with informing people, communicating, bringing the right people together, cross-functional teams. Um, that all looks the same even uh, no matter your size keeping everyone informed and communicating. I'd say those are probably the biggest um, kind of points or tips to consider when moving um, across those two worlds. That's still in common. It's pretty fascinating, actually, just, you know, to, to think about all that that goes in and anticipating questions is really difficult. Like, I mean, I guess over time and you do, it, you know, it's what you do, but uh, that learning process it was really important, especially being in Dubai and London. That's a different perspective. Yeah, it really was a different perspective. Um, you said Dubai. I, I did work in Dubai in the United Arab Emirates for about a year, right out a year, um, also on the KFC brand. And uh, that was kind of funny how it came together. It was, you know, I had to... Um, once a year check the box are you willing to relocate and internationally yes or no the year i checked yes um got the call i was actually traveling and told my husband hey i was in singapore of all places and i had to call him and say i have the opportunity to interview for a job in dubai and we thought we were going to be moving to maybe England or Australia or some place that speaks English. <laughs> and um, in fact, moving to Dubai um, was, it happened for me all within about a month or so. I said yes to the position. Wow. I had a passport with a um, work visa in it and, and all my stuff packed and jumped on a plane and was there. Um, just so fast, but honestly, um, it was pre-kids, it was pre-mortgage, it was a perfect time in my life to go and just be on a huge adventure. Uh, my husband came along with me, we, we um, camped in the desert, we uh, went out of the country as many times as we could, we made friends. Um, on top of that, of course, I got to work on a brand there that's very loved and uh, very popular. It's insanely popular outside of the United States and, and here in the United States, I think growing, but outside, especially there, um, there were a five, there were a thousand Yum! Brands restaurants in the 13 countries where I was working and supporting. And it, it's, you may not think that, but yeah, in, in countries in the Middle East, um, 
they love fried chicken and pizza and um, tacos, just like we do here. Yeah. It was it was a it was an adventure. I still feel like I'm on an adventure, but that was definitely an important chapter in this book of my life. <laughs> yeah, that's big learning. That's real big learning. You said you moved there. There was pre kids and everything, but you moved there with your husband. You had a little bit of a support system. But did you early on, or at any point during that year, did you sort of have some some doubts, some uncomfortable moments of just wow, I'm really fish out of water here. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm going. You know, that kind of classic thing you see in a, in a movie where, you know, the foreigner is treated poorly and, and that kind of thing. Did you have any experiences like that that made it more difficult for you? Uh, I was never treated unfairly or um, or in any way felt uncomfortable as far as being a woman or as far as being an American living there. Not at all. Um, had, did I feel like maybe I am insane for living here and moving here? Um, it's 125 outside and, um, you know, it, yes, I definitely felt like that a few times, but that was sort of the wish. It was like, um, get an MBA at that point was my, uh, was on one hand or move to another country and live there and sort of be immersed there by the culture, by the, um, objectives of the team. You know, I'm part of that team. I'm paid by that team. I am completely invested in everything that they want to do and um, I did certainly a few times think this is crazy um, but for the most part most days were very rewarding it was very hard um, but very rewarding most definitely before before we get to the the fire the board questions here I did have a random question uh, that you you mentioned kind of with the technology platforms and how that's shifting the way people are, are able to work and from where you sit and the lens that you look through, have you been surprised to see anything that has come out of the, the pandemic in a positive light as it relates to the restaurant world? Or do you see anything of the next evolution of something uh, in the restaurant world because of the pandemic? Is there anything, is there anything there? Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing um, a lot, uh, as probably anybody who gets emails from these industries, um, a lot of drive-through. I think if drive-through was going away uh, last year, it's coming back in a huge way. Um, it seems like everybody's got plans for drive-throughs, and um, I think, and what I'm seeing, and what I'm very hopeful for, is that it, it spurs on um, drive-throughs and maybe more convenient ways, uh, touch-free ways, um, less intrusive ways to get really good food, um, not just. Uh, cheeseburgers and fried chicken, but maybe also grilled chicken, maybe also some great salads and some better kids meals choices. I'm starting to see a little bit of that. Um, I think in larger cities, there's probably a, a lot more innovation there. Um, Takeaway meals that even you bake at home. Um, I don't know how much of that's going to go away. I think it's a great, um, it's a great way to add a personal kind of home cooked feel and touch um, and maybe even alleviate a little bit of that uh, guilt that we might feel from getting everything takeout, but, but maybe baking a pizza at home or um, a chicken Alfredo meal at home because you picked it up on the way home. I don't think, I don't think that's going to completely ever disappear our habits as far as eating out, away um, from restaurants um, as, as they open back up. I think, uh, 
will all still be interested in the drive-thru and the takeaway um, aspects, even if we don't cook as much. But these convenience items are going to be the big winners, I think. Um, as far as technology, apps, most definitely. Um, you know, the, the pickup, like click list, order apps from Target, from, from Kroger, those kinds of places. Um, I, can, I cannot imagine a world now where that's not in existence. We're just going to keep growing. That's my prediction. Oh, I know. You mean I have to buy my own groceries? I have to go to the store? What the heck is this? <laughs> Why would you want to walk around inside when you can sit in your air-conditioned car? <laughs> right. So, Jessica, as we wrap up here, we're going to uh, end the interview. The segment we call Fire the Board, which you may or may not know. That's a kitchen term. Uh, it's usually when it's the, the last of the food in the kitchen that needs to go out to the dining room. The chef will say, fire the board, and that means everybody's hair is on fire, and the world is going crazy for a couple of minutes, and then uh, everything is calm again. So in that spirit, we're going to ask you some rapid-fire questions. And we say rapid-fire, and then they usually turn into another 15-minute uh, section of the of the podcast interview. But we'll, we'll do our best. So, Carrie, do you have the uh, the questions up? Would you like to lead off or... Are you still rummaging around like a like a bowl of Halloween candy and you need me to start? Shut up, Justin! I'll ask the first question. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right, okay. Jessica. What was your first car? A 1986 Honda Civic. So don't be jealous. It was tan. Tan. <laughs> See, I wasn't going to be jealous, but then you said tan. All right, next question. What is the last good book that you read or listened to? A Richard Rohr book called Falling Upward. So it's very contemplative. It's not about food whatsoever. It's just about uh, like why we're here and um, first half of life, second half of life, sort of spiritual understanding. Uh, kind of heavy and kind of life-changing too. So that was the last one. I finished it up um, a few. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been a little while, but it's still just kind of rolling around in my brain. Gosh. Okay. I, I wonder what she's going to answer then to what song is the soundtrack to your life, Jessica? Oh, my goodness. Uh, okay. That's a tough one. Um, the song that we play a lot lately, um, we being me, my nine-year-old and six-year-old, we love the song called Sedona by this band called Houndmouth. They're from Louisville, Kentucky, and um, we we play that song everywhere we go lately. And it's just kind of an easy, relaxed, uh, really different sounding song, and it seems to be on all the time. I have to say that one. Okay, we're making we're making a movie about you. Big production. We've got Michael Bay or Christopher Nolan directing it. What actor is going to play Jessica? We could make me really pretty and interesting, and, may, and it would be maybe Charlize Theron. Oh. I'll choose her. If you had, you know, a gazillion bazillion dollars, what would be your dream job? You could do whatever. You didn't have to worry about your income. I, I always thought that being a spa critic would be a legitimate great job where you just have different massages and facials. You know, your nails done all the time, pretty skin. That, if that, and I think people really do that. I think that would be what I would do. And I would definitely be doing it in like Costa Rica and um, somewhere nice and warm. I would just travel around and, and go visit spas. And they would have to treat me really nice if I'm a critic. 
So it's like not only is it spots, but it's like extra special treatment. <laughs> She's got a she's got a future, Carrie. Uh, Buffalo, New York's number one <laughs> restaurant and spa critic. Yeah. <laughs> Justin, do you know what we forgot to ask Jessica? It's about her charity. Like, if she could pick any charity that oh. uh, our listeners would maybe log in and give twenty bucks or learn more about, what charity would that be? It would probably be something about uh, women and children, um, like abused women and children. And we're gonna, yeah, take it pretty seriously down, down a notch. But that's that's where my heart is: is for kids and women who have uh, had hard times in their lives. We thought that would be a neat thing this year: is for everybody to get to kind of share what their charity is. You know, that's a super idea. I appreciate it. Thanks. And then we'll do a GoFundMe for your for your spa your spa. You know. Critic will do a GoFundMe too. So you'll need to think of the name of your company for that. I think you could create a new position called the, the Spalier. So a combination of a spa and sommelier. That's a great idea. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. Thank you so much for being on. Before, the last thing to, just to mention here for all of our listeners, can you again just share the name of your company, uh, website, if you have any social media presence, any way for people if they are looking for uh, some help that they can reach out to you directly? Thanks. Yeah, it's foodforwardthinking.com. Uh, my email is all over that, and it's jess, J-E-S-S, at foodforwardthinking. Um, I love to know new things that are happening. I love to spitball things with people. Um, that part's all sort of free <laughs> consulting, uh, no charge for that. I just wanted to get to know what's happening. Love to go to events and things like that. So on my um, events and media page, you'll a link to this podcast and to all the other things that I've been doing on foodforwardthinking.com. Amazing. Well, that's great. We'll certainly pass your name around as much as we can. Thank you so much for, for being a guest and for being on with us and, and sharing uh, your awesome story. Thank you for listening to the Food Service for Thought podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. And a big shout out to Forbes, Heaver, and Wallace and everyone on the team for producing the first ever food service rep driven podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Oh, And go eat out at your local restaurant or grab some takeout or delivery, even if you are just in the mood for some apps or dessert. Every bite helps.